All right. I almost forgot. Three persons every second. 180 persons every minute. 10,800 persons every hour. 259,000 persons uh, every day. 1.8 million every week. 7.8 million every month. 94 million every year. Can anyone guess? Die. 94 million a year die. George Bernard Shaw said it really well. He says one out of one, what? Dies. One out of one dies. John Blanchard said death is the irrefutable fact of life. Okay? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, that great famous preacher in London a century or so ago, said it this way, though men avoid it with all their might, death finds us all. We admit that we shall die, but we suppose not so soon as to make it pressing. We imagine we are not within measurable distance of the tomb. It's not rocket science, is it? You've got this figured out, right? You've got it figured out. You're not here to stay. You're here to what? Someone tell me. You're here to go. You're not here to stay. That's the human condition. You're not here to stay. We've been talking about it the last few weeks. We are pilgrims. We are pilgrims and we're passing through. We're not here to stay. Philip, uh, the father of Alexander the Great, he had great wisdom. He commissioned a servant to stand in his presence every day and say, and say Philip, you will die. But you know what? Most uh, men who walk the planet are more like Louis XIV of France. He decreed that the word death should never be spoken in his presence. What a silly man. What a silly man. You guys know John Piper. I quote him all the time. He's a famous uh, preacher, theologian in the States. He's been pastoring a very large church for a very long time. He averages one funeral per month. And you know what he says about this? He says, this is a great gift from God. That's probably not what you thought he would say. But he says, this is a great gift of God to me. He says, it causes me to, to be awakened to the brevity of my own life and the life of everyone around me, including my loved ones. He says, I'm keenly aware. I'm keenly aware of how transitory this life is. And this is what he says to his congregation. I want you to hear me, okay? I want you to hear what he said to his congregation about that one funeral a month. He says, I know some of you would not live the way you do if you stood with me by that mound of dirt and that hole in the ground every month. Is that true? Can you own that for yourself? Listen to it again. I know some of you would not live the way you do if you stood by that hole in the ground every month. Your life would be different. Your priorities would be different. Your goals would be different. Your passions would be different. The things you're pursuing would be different. If you were like uh, Philip, Alexander the Great's uh, father, and you were reminded every day that uh, you're not here to stay, you're here to go. You know, most of us talk about uh, human life and we act as if, we live as if it's an inalienable right. Does everybody know what that means? It's like it's a right that we have to live. Friends, uh, the Bible is uh, pretty clear. Life is a gift from God. It's a sovereign gift from God. And Job said it perfectly. The Lord giveth and the Lord what? It's His prerogative. You know, we're not little autonomous sovereigns walking on the planet. God gives, God takes. And Job said it perfectly. You know, the thing that brings glad, reckless, fearless joy into the believer's heart 
is the same thing that strikes dread and fear in the unbeliever's heart, and that is that God holds my next heartbeat in His hand, and it's up to Him. And when you know this, when you realize that your days are ordained, you, have a real, you kind of have a certain freedom with life. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to shrink back. You don't have to wring your hands. You don't have to conform to the world. Because my God is God. He's holding me. That bullet can't hit me unless He lets it hit me. You know, this is the kind of glad, reckless fear that Christians ought to have. Because our Father holds our days. David said it perfectly, Psalm 139, 16. In thy book they were all written, the days that you ordained for me, when yet there was not yet one of them. Moses said in Numbers 24, 23, Who can live except God has ordained it? Do you know that, friend? What you have is a sovereign gift from God. And every, every heart beats a stewardship. That's what we've been talking about. Every time you draw a breath, you're breathing His air, you're eating His food. He's making, he's making those blood cells take oxygen to your tissues. He's doing it all. And every day you live is a stewardship before God. It's not often that I quote Peter Pan. In fact, I think this will be the first time for me to ever quote Peter Pan in a sermon. Uh, you know, don't tell anybody. But uh, Peter Pan said it perfectly. What every born-again Christian knows with ironclad certainty, right? With ironclad certainty. We know this, we believe it, and we live it. We love it, and we anticipate it. Okay, here's what Peter Pan said. You guys will probably recognize this. To die would be what? Anybody remember? Pari? There you go. To die would be an awfully big adventure. Is that how you think about it? To die will be a ginormous adventure. Susan. That's Susan's word. Ginormous. It will be a ginormous adventure for the Christian. It will be the, the beginning of an exhilarating, breathtaking, ecstatic, infinitely glorious adventure with the most beautiful being in the cosmos, with God Himself. I saw a bumper sticker one time, and as I said to you, I'm not going to exposit a text. I'm just kind of teaching tonight, okay? So just, uh, you know, everything's good. I'm not going to turn to a text and then go for 40 minutes, so that's not going to happen, okay? So just, it's cool. Um, I saw a bumper sticker one time. It said this, Is there death after life? And you know, when I read that, I go, what? Is there death after life? Well, what's the answer to that question for the unbeliever? The answer is yes. There's only death. There's eternal death. That's all there is for you. Death. If you're outside Jesus Christ. What's the answer for the believer? What's the answer for the believer? Is there death after life? No! It's just going to get bigger. It's just going to be a, a greater adventure as we pass from this life into the next. Right? One famous preacher, his name was D.L. Moody. Some of you probably have, know who he is. I love what he said. He said this, One day you will read in the papers that I am dead. He said, Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? He said, At that moment I shall be more alive than I have ever been. Amen? Do you guys get this? Are you tracking with me? Do you get it? Okay. This is what, you know, I love that way up yonder. Man, we're going up yonder where God is. We're God, you know, to God's home, our home. We don't belong here anymore. 
We're passing through. Praise God. We're passing through. We are strangers and exiles and aliens upon the earth. I got a friend of mine. He's kind of an itinerant preacher. And uh, he was touring in Eastern Europe. And he, he likes to stay in people's homes, obviously, to save money when he's, when he's uh, on tour. And he stayed with this old, old widower, this old man. And he noticed that this man had almost no furniture, right? And that he was, his house was very sparsely uh, furnished. And uh, my friend said to him, I noticed that you don't own very many things. And the old man turned to him and said, Well, I notice you're only traveling with one bag. And my friend said, Yeah, I like to travel light. Guess what the old man said? So do I. So do I. That old man knows he's passing through, man. He's not going to spend, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to invest in this world. He's investing in the next. As we've been talking about, he's laying up treasures. As Jesus says, lay up treasures for yourself is what Jesus says. For yourself. He gives you the responsibility. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Okay, I've had a few more questions about the parables of the talents and the parables of uh, the menas. And so I want to talk just a few minutes about that. There seems to be some confusion, so I'm going to go back and visit that. If you missed those uh, sermons on that, uh, uh, just let me know and we'll get you the, the audio or the text, whatever you would like. So I just want to go back and make a few clarifications. The parable of the menas. It, think of it like this, because God gave one to each man, right? Think of it like this. It's your life. Think of it like this. Every, we're all e on equal footing here. God gives one life. And He gives you that life to invest in His kingdom. And that's part of the stewardship when we stand before Him. But each man, each woman gets one life. There's perfect equality here. And you decide how you're going to spend that life. You decide if you're going to invest in the things of Christ or if you're going to pursue the things of the world. You decide. Okay, so there's perfect equality here. Perfect equality here. Uh, we all have one life to invest. Now the talents, this regards the individual giftedness that God sovereignly disperses in His body, right? So some of us are five talent people. Some of us are two talents. Some of us are one talent. We know that talent is simply a sum of money in the Bible, but this is a metaphor. Some of us are more gifted than others. You remember my personal uh, illustration John Piper uh, would be a five-talent guy. And I'm not supposed to look at John Piper and say, well, I can't keep up with him. I can't be as good a steward. Wrong. I can be as good a steward. I'm a one-talent man. All I've got to do is use my one talent. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody understand? Uh, there is a relative... Uh, God is sovereign in dispersing His gifts in the body. And you're responsible when He gives you a gift. You're responsible to use that gift in the body, as we talked about a lot last year. And you remember what Jesus said uh, to the five-talent man that got the five-talent return? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And he said the same thing to the two-talent man. And he would have said the same thing to the one-talent man that got the one-talent return. But what? He didn't invest it in the kingdom of God. So I don't have to be John Piper. I don't have to be... I just have to be me. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I'm supposed to be Jim Albright and I'm supposed to use my life and my gifts for the glory of Christ and for the edification of the body of Christ. Okay, I hope, uh, I hope that uh, clarifies some of the questions that we had. The ten-minute guy 
got one life and he radically invested it in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you radically investing your life in the kingdom of God? The five men of God got one life and he invested it in the kingdom, but not to the degree that the ten men of God did. So the ten men of God that got the ten men of return, what? Jesus said, rule over ten cities. The five men of God, Jesus said, you rule over five cities. There's this proportionality. And what Jesus is telling us about reward, there's a proportionality. Obviously, the ten men of God has greater reward for his greater diligence. And that's what a lot of this sermon series is about. And we're going to get into heaven in earnest next week. We're going to talk more about it next week. But I'm still exhorting you to live like you believe it's there. And live like it's the most important thing in your life. Because God expects His children to live like that. To be heaven-minded. Always heaven-minded. Always heaven-minded. As I shared with you a week or so ago, many theologians, uh, they'll use use the word capacity when you start talking about how uh, God rewards those who radically invest. This proportionality we see in these parables. And the word word, uh, capacity keeps coming up. And I ran into that analogy I shared with you two weeks ago about having the bigger bucket in heaven. Everybody remember that? Having the bigger bucket? The biggest bucket? And uh, it wasn't Edward's analogy. Listen to what he says. The saints are like so many vessels of different sizes cast into the sea of happiness where every vessel is full. You understand? Some of us will have larger vessels. Some of us will have bigger buckets. We were more diligent in this life and we will rule over ten cities, not five cities. Because we were diligent in our stewardship. We will have bigger buckets. It's a capacity issue. But all buckets are full. Edward says, this is eternal life for a man ever to have his capacity full. Now we understand there's an there's a issue of sovereignty here. You know, I'm not, I, I wasn't chosen to be an apostle, right? I'm not Peter. I'm not Paul. I'm Jim Albright. And I'm accountable to God to be Jim Albright. I'm accountable to, be, to, to serve God to serve God with Jim Albright's gifts. I'm not to worry about other gifts. I'm not to worry about how God distributes the gifts. That's not my concern. My concern is to be a good steward of what God has given me. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. We see it all over the pages of Scripture, don't we? We see it all over the pages of Scripture. It's the same here. I love how Randy Alcorn expands on Edward's thought. Now listen to me. I'm going to give you about three or four quotes here. I want you to listen to me. All right? So perk up. Listen to me. Uh, Alcorn expands on Edward's thought. Listen to what he says. A pint jar and a quart jar can both be full, but one's what? Bigger than the other one. Okay, we had that exciting, uh, exciting demonstration a couple of weeks for you up here on this video, when we had our visual aid that Adam built. It was, uh, it was breathtaking, actually. Um, but one is bigger than the other. Likewise, in heaven, all of us will be full of joy, but some may have a larger capacity for joy. And I want you to listen to this having been stretched through their dependence on God in this life. Isn't that beautiful? This is what I've been trying to poorly communicate, I think, for the last couple of weeks. All right? I love that. And then listen to John Bunyan. John Bunyan echoes the same thing. John Bunyan says the same thing. He who is most in the bosom of God and who so acts for Him in this life, He is the man who will best be able to enjoy most of God in the kingdom of heaven. It's a capacity issue. 
And I shared with you about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, this quote from Edwards. I'm going to quote him again. I want you to hear this one more time. In heaven, the holiest of saints have a greater capacity to see further into the divine perfections of God. God's sovereignty is at play. But listen, friends, your responsibility is at play. And if what I've been saying to you the last couple of weeks, you are building your eternity right now. You're building it. The, the proportions and dimensions and the scope of what you will, how you will rule and reign in heaven, you're building it right now. So how's your stewardship going? How's your stewardship going? Are you serving Christ with that one life He gave you? Are you radically investing that one life for the glory of Jesus? And are you investing your gifts in this church and using your gifts in this church for the glory of Christ and for the salvation of sinners? Friends, you're building your own eternity right now. And I'm talking to Christians. I'm, talking to, I'm not talking to unbelievers. Unbelievers. This, this whole debate is... It's, it's, I'm glad you're in here if you're an unbeliever. But I'm talking to believers. The only way this can be applicable to you is if you come to Christ. That's the only way. I'm talking to believers tonight. I'm talking to believers. And I'm asking you, how are you building? How are you building? We talked about it two weeks ago. With gold, silver, and precious stones or with what? Wood, hay, or straw. How are you building your life? That's what I'm trying to exhort you to think seriously about. Now, I've noticed that some people don't like this teaching. Um, and I think I know why they don't like it. Because they're afraid they're not going to have the biggest bucket in heaven. Let me say to you, brother and sister, <laughs> probably none of us in here are going to have the biggest bucket in heaven. Okay? The greatest capacity to serve God, to know God, to look deep into the divine perfections, as Edward says, probably none of us in here are going to have that. We're going to have the greatest capacity in heaven. Probably none of us are. We could, but probably none of us will. But you know, when we think like that, what are we thinking with? A fallen and sinful mind. Let me tell you, friend, if your brother in heaven has a bigger bucket than you, that's, you're not going to envy that or be jealous of that or, have, or be covetous of that. Guess what? It's going to be your great joy that your brother's bucket's bigger than yours. That's how it's going to be in heaven. There's not going to be envy and sin. That's how we think down here. It ain't going to be like that up there. I couldn't help but say ain't because we did the whole yonder thing. So it ain't going to be like that up there. If your brother has a bigger bucket, you're going to love it and you're going to be happy for him. That's the way it will be. That's the way it will be in heaven. So I want to stop and just tell you again why I'm preaching this short series on heaven. It dawned on me that I'm not thinking about it enough. And I'm a pastor. And I dare say some of you aren't thinking about it enough. And I dare say that God would be pleased for us to think about it every single day. To have, if we have to hire somebody like Philip did, to remind us that we'll die, to remind us we're out of here. And to put our focus, as we talked about a couple of weeks, weeks ago, we're running to the Bema seat. That's our goal, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we're headed, and that's our focus. So, this is a brief but earnest crusade to jazz you up about heaven so you'll get serious about your stewardship. Because you are impacting your own eternity right now, believer. You are. This is the Word of God. This is the Word 
of God. If you're not jazzed about heaven, one of two things is true about you. You're either not converted and you're still in love with the world. Or you are converted and you uh, have chosen to remain a theological babe in Christ. Because listen, friends, if you're studying the Scriptures and you're starting to, to see heaven all over the pages of Scripture, and we're going to talk more about that next week, man, you, you know, we sang these great songs, we read those great verses in Revelation, man, we're going, with, we're going to God. We're going to see the face of God. If you can't get excited about that, I don't know, I don't know. And the modern church as a whole is guilty of theological neglect of heaven. There's a great poverty in the church. You very rarely hear sermons on it. Um, and in fact, it's, it's off most Christians' radar screen. And I bet if we, if we were all honest in here, it's been off your radar screen for a long time, some of you for a long time. This does not please God. He wants you to be pointing at it. He wants you to be running to the beast. Just like that Olympic athlete we talked about a few weeks ago. Man, his whole life is to get that medal. And our whole life is to go to the Bema seat. And hear Jesus say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. J.C. Ryle said, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. And I like how Randy Alcorn uh, follows up with that. He says, I pity the man who never accurately thinks about heaven. Now, Satan has co-opted the discussion, right? Out in the world, he's co-opted the discussion. He's framed it. Oh, we're going to be little naked cherubs and we're going to sit on a cloud and we're going to play harps. Right? Or, or heaven's just going to be one long church service. An eternal church service. Some of you may even have these concepts in your head. Well, listen, those are non-biblical. So you need to dispense. You need to dispense with those kinds of concepts. Mark Twain, you know the, the great story, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And you remember Miss Watson was a Christian spinster and she told Huck about heaven. But Huck was unimpressed. Listen to what he said. She went on and told me about the good place where all a body would have to do there all day is to play a harp and sing forever and ever and ever. Guess what he says? So I didn't think much of it. Friends, this is a real poverty in the church. We're not thinking of it. We're not thinking about it biblically. Because, you know, your heart should jump. If you're thinking about heaven properly, if you're thinking about it biblically, your heart should jump with anticipation. You'd be like Paul. You'd be like Paul. To live is Christ, what? To die is gain. And I can't wait to see Jesus Christ. If we're thinking about it right, that's the way we would be thinking about it. Listen, friends, you know, Satan's got people believing either heaven doesn't exist or if it does exist, it's boring. El Shaddai is anything but boring. And if you don't know that, you need to come talk with me and we'll talk about that. El Shaddai is anything but boring. Heaven is heaven because He's there, He's the main attraction, and He is breathtaking you heard the text read revelation chapter 4 uh, i love that text um, these four living creatures did you notice the text says they're full of eyes within and without i love that and i know they wish they had one more eye everybody know why so they could, could so they could drink more of god in 
And these guys, ever since they were created from eternity past, they've just been looking at God. That's all they do. They look at God. That's all they do. They look at God. And I remember my seminary professor coming up to me and saying, Hey, you know, uh, what if you tapped one of them on the shoulder? You think he'd turn around? No. He wouldn't turn around. Friends, this is how awesome God is. God will fill up eternity. Jesus Christ will fill up eternity. There's more to eternity than than just gazing at Christ. But He could fill it up all by Himself. And you never want to turn around. You'd be like one of those living creatures. It's the eternal gasp. (laughs) The eternal gasp. I love that phrase. That's what it will be like. You guys know what a gasp is? It takes your breath away. That's what it will be like to be in the presence of the living God. And I, I want to convey to you, again, I'm just teaching tonight, I'm not preaching a text, but and I know it's kind of hard to follow me and stay with me when, I just don't, when I'm not on a text, but um, this, this, uh, proximity, this proximity to God, this, this uh, intimacy with God, I, I, like it, I liken it to a romance. I'm sure some of you have heard uh, the Christian, the redeemed, and, and the relationship they have with Christ li- uh, likened to a romance. It's a proper metaphor. We are the bride of Christ. So, when human love blooms, right, Alonka? There's all this heat and passion, right? There's all this excitement and energy. <laughs> well, she's about to be married. I didn't mean to her. But, you know, when human love blooms, it's all, it's just, man, you can't get enough of that person. You just want more of that person. And there's all this mystery and you want to explore it all. You want to know it all, right? That's what human love is. But what happens to human love? What happens to human love? Passion. <laughs> the passion. The passion will inevitably wane. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that we don't love this person, right? It doesn't mean that we don't love them. But, but the heat and, and the, the, the energy will wane. Why does it wane? Because we've gotten to the end of that person. We still love them, but there's no more mystery. Let, let me tell you, friend... A romance with the infinite being? You're never going to get to the end of God. The romance will always be ever fresh and ever new. And I know it's a bad analogy, human love uh, and, and the bride of Christ, but I think it gives us some insight. This is what I'm talking about. A romance with an infinite being. It will always be fresh. It will always be awesome. There will always be more mystery more beauty, more glory, more genius to know about Jesus Christ. I can't, I can't wait <laughs> to live as Christ and to die as gain. Listen to Edwards one more time. Jonathan Edwards. Since God is infinite, the creature cannot fathom the totality of His greatness or comprehend His infinite beauty or delight in all that He is. It will take an eternity for us to know and to enjoy all that God is. There will never be a time when there is no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. The eternal romance. And I want to just briefly, as I, as I begin to, to close tonight, I want, to, I want to, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 33. And I just want to expand on this thought as we close tonight. We'll develop it more next week. Uh, you know, Moses, Moses, this is a, a story of Moses, Exodus 33, uh, verses, uh, 
We're going to start here, verse 18. But Moses knows God better than any man has ever known God. Moses has seen more of God than any man has ever seen of God. Just go read the history of the Exodus. Moses knows God better than anyone. And what does Moses pray there in verse 18? Is it verse 18? Yes, he says, Lord, show me your glory. Now, what does Moses know? He knows God better than any man. He's seen God more than any man. But what does Moses know? He hasn't seen anything yet. This is what he knows. He hasn't seen anything yet. And he says, Lord God, show me your glory. It's always going to be like that. It's going to be like that forever. Moses has been there 3,500 years. I did the math. About 3,500 years. And he's still saying, Lord, show me your glory. That's how it's going to be, friends. I hope I'm conveying something to you. I hope I'm conveying some, some excitement about our inheritance in Christ. Friends, it's going to be breathtaking. It's going to be jaw-dropping. And if you're not living, pointing at that, then you're, you're wasting your stewardship before God. You're supposed to point at that and run to the Bema seat. Moses knows he hasn't seen anything yet. And Moses gets it. He gets it. And this is what I want you to get. If you don't remember anything else tonight, remember this. Moses learns, has learned that God created Moses to fill Moses up with God. Did you hear me? Moses has come to understand that the only reason Moses exists is that God may fill him up with himself. Friends, God's going to spend eternity filling us up with his glory and his beauty and his genius. We're going to talk next week more about some of the things we may do in heaven, but I want us to have this image and you guys know that you guys know what happens that God says, "Hey, you can't see me, you can't see my face, or you'll die." And then the Lord puts him in the cleft of the rock, and his uh, his glory passes by. His glory passes by, and uh, look at verse 23, Exodus 33. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, somebody tell me what verse 24 says. What does verse 24 say? Oh, you don't have a verse 24. Oh, there isn't one. Guess why? He can't write it. <laughs> he can't write it. And I told, you know, I've told people this. I've preached this verse before, this text before, and I'll say, hey, if you're not too spiritual, and some of us are, but if you're not too spiritual, you might write in, right there under verse 23, you might write eternal gasp. You might write the word gasp. And listen, friends, God, God created, God created a, He created gasp, particularly for humans, because we're going to need Him forever as we relate to Him and get to know Him. And as He unveils Himself um, progressively through all eternity. Listen, um, I've come to understand, I think, that the greatest aspect of worship is desire. And if you guys read John Piper, you know about this, right? The greatest, well, I think the greatest aspect of worship is desire. And God created us to lust, right? You all know this. We, we were made to lust. And it's not, you know, what does lust mean? It just means to have an overwhelming uh, desire for. And it's always used in a negative context in, uh, in, this, in the modern world. But it's a, it's a perfectly good word. It just means to have an overpowering desire for. God built us to lust. Guess what we're supposed to lust for? God. And it's, it fits into that whole running to the Bema seat thing. Are you lusting after God? Do you have a holy lust for God? 
Are you being a good steward for Him? Can you not wait for that well done, good and faithful servant? Is your whole life structured around the Bema seat and the fact that you want to hear that? Well done, good and faithful servant. Listen to the psalmist. says, The deer pants for the water brooks. My soul pants for Thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you hear him? Uh, Psalm 73, Whom have I in Thee but... Whom I, have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee I desire nothing on earth. Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for thee. God will spend forever satisfying the lust of his people as we desire him, and he will fill us up. And listen, friends, I, I know some of you may, this may be all brand new to some of you guys, and, and if you have questions, please don't hesitate to, to to, uh, to call me or email me or talk to me. But I mean, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to implant in you, you know, this, 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 this sheer exhilaration for what lies ahead. Heaven will not be boring. It will be awesome because Jesus is there. But not only that, and we'll talk next week about we will have responsibility. We will have responsibility. We're thinking right about heaven. We will be highly motivated stewards and we will use our life Parable of the menace. We will use our life for the glory of Jesus. We will radically invest our lives. If we are under thinking rightly about heaven, we will be motivated stewards to use our gifts. The parable of the talents. We will be in this church or whatever church we're in and we'll be pouring our gifts into that church for the glory of Jesus, for the edification of the saints and for the, the salvation of the lost. That's what our life's going to be about. If we're thinking rightly about heaven, we will expend energy every day to lay up treasures in heaven. And if we're thinking rightly about heaven, we will be running to the Bema seat and we will build our life around what will happen there. I'm going to close with Jonathan Edwards. Uh, I, I've shared it with you the last two times I preached. His, his, his 22nd re resolution. And this is where I want you to go in your heart and in your mind when you think about heaven. Build your whole life pointing at the Bema seat. But here's what Edward says. I will endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. This is a man who understands why he's here. He understands he's passing through. He understands he's going to give an account. He understands there's, there's proportionality involved when the rewards are distributed. The man who more radically invests in the kingdom, he will rule over more cities. He will have greater wealth in the kingdom. Edwards understands this. And, and I had a question about this. This is not in some mercenary sense. Man, we do it because we love Christ. It's enough loving Christ and to serve Christ. This is not a mercenary thing. But it's in God's heart to reward His people anyway. <laughs> you know, we ought to just do it because we ought to do it. But it's in God's heart to reward His people. And that's what He does. Peter Pan is right. He's right for every true born again believer to die will be an awfully big adventure. And we'll talk more about it next week. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise You. We, we praise You that... Uh, you're an omnipotent giving God. You just never stop giving. You're always giving. Always giving to us. Lord, even when we do that which is reasonable, that which is, you know, we, we ought to do these things. 
These are, these are just things we ought to do, and yet you, you have it in your heart to reward us. Lord, may we understand. May we understand that in some measure we are, we are filling out our own eternity, the dimensions of our eternity, the scope of it. This is the responsibility You've given us. You've clearly told us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lord God, may we be mindful of that. May we honor You in the way we live, not in some mercenary sense, but just allowing the Spirit of God to flow through us that our gifts might be animated and our gifts might be effective. Lord, we pray that, I pray that You'll use each one of us in this body, corporately and individually. Lord, we realize what Your Word tells us. We only have a, we only have a few moments left. We're, we're vapors upon the earth. We're passing through. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're exiles. We're aliens. Lord, bring that home. Bring that truth home to us. Bring that truth home to us. That we might live like we believe it. Like we're moments from heaven. And we're moments from eternity. We live on the edge of eternity. Lord, bring that home to us. That we might be diligent stewards of all that You've gifted us with. Lord, we praise You. And we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to partake from the table. Um, and we uh, celebrate open communion here. So if you're a Christian, if you've been born again... If you've been born again and you have followed Christ in baptism, you're welcome to partake uh, from this table. And you know what Paul told the Corinthians? He said, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. So if you have unconfessed sin, or if you have sin you're, you know you're, you have, no, uh, you have uh, no intention of repenting of, you don't come to the table. Don't come to the table in an unworthy manner, as Paul says. Don't come in a legalistic manner uh, or some ritualistic manner. Come to the table to remember what He did in your behalf. Come to the table to celebrate who He is and what He did in your behalf. Come and celebrate the inheritance that He's purchased for you by His shed blood. Come and celebrate. Scott will play a tune. It'll be about four minutes long. And as he does, just come and take the cup and the bread. Go back to your seat. And don't partake of the elements. And I'll stand and read a scripture and then we will partake. Okay? Everybody understand? Prepare your hearts to celebrate the table.
Beloved, <laughs> we have an awesome God, an awesome Savior, and an awesome eternity. Jesus, uh, He's made it all possible because of what He did. He loved us and He came for us and He's collected His bride and all that awaits is the celebration. <laughs> Forever and ever it will last. And that last night He was here He'd been betrayed and he took the bread and once he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Knowing full well that the next day his blood would be spilled for his bride, he says, in the same way he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember Jesus. And we will never forget. And we will praise you forever. For you have bought us. And we are yours. And we love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Shall we just, uh, let's just stand, Scott, if you don't mind. Let us just stand and close like we used to, if that's okay, Scott. It's all right? Okay. Some of you may know this song, some of you may not. Uh, it's been a while. Ancient words, just the chorus of ancient words. Um, how does it start? Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing. treasures uh, for yourself in heaven. Uh, be a good steward. Think about heaven. If you can help with Famagosta, please let me know. We need some help going back to Famagosta. God bless. Have a great week. You want to? Why don't you do it? I got it. You don't, don't tell me. Uh, imagination and uh, resourcefulness. Resourcefulness. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm very specific. I'm teaching to work because I need this. I'll pray for it. You understood why I need it.
Hey, brother. Hi, buddy. How are you, man? Good, good. That's an old one. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I come here for the church. Sherry. I don't think I've met you. Hi, I'm, I'm Nadia. I'm here for the first time. Nadia, Nadia, nice to meet you. Good to have you with us. Where are you from? Uh, I'm Czech and my father is Slovak and we live in East Krav. Okay, Czech and Slovak. I don't know if we've ever had a Czech in the church before. This is very exciting. <laughs> really? This is very exciting. It's good to have you with us. How did you hear about yeah. us? I just, no, we, I did go to church two days just to be our like a majority. So it's so glad you could come. So glad you could come. Come back and see us. Thank you. Thank you. Too much, did I? No, you didn't. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's impossible to embarrass me that much. <laughs>